Oh my God, Tesla Investor Day, jobs numbers, and a run on banks. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're on Disrupt TV. Welcome to the green room. We're going to do some quick introductions of folks uh, in reverse order of appearance. So Sally, tell us where you're coming in from and what will you be talking about today? Uh, I'm Sally Helgeson. I'm coming in from the Hudson Valley, two hours north of New York City. And today I'm going to be talking a bit about, um, I'm drawing from my latest book, Rising Together. So I'll be talking a little bit about why unconscious bias is often a bad approach to diversity issues and what really works. All right. Excellent. Christine, where are you coming in from? What are we talking about today? Hi, coming from rainy Los Altos in California. I am the co-founder and CEO at Sounding Board, and uh, we focus on leader development. And given everything we've been reading about in the news today, we're going to be talking a little bit about why leader development and leadership is more critical than ever before. Oh, definitely a hot topic. And Rojul, uh, where are we coming in from today? Rojul? I'm uh, also from a rainy location not too far away in San Francisco, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's nice to be here. I'm uh, co-founder and CEO of Zip. Uh, Zip provides one place for any employee uh, to request a purchase, and then we route that across all the approvals you need, you know, across finance and legal and IT and security and connect into the into the financial system. So uh, I'll be sharing more about financial procurement software and, and controlling spend, especially uh, with where the, where the economy is today. Very, very cool. Well, I'm here live from South by Southwest. Vala is in Boston and Elle is in Denver, we think, and we are about to start the show. Over to you, Elle. All right. Three, two, Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Every day I see him on business and television news. I see him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks, Lon. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar, the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce, but he's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. I keep that at home with me all the time. And executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce. You can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But you know, the more important thing, Vala is everywhere. He's an inspiration around the world, and one day we're waiting for a Maybe he'll be writing a book. So anyways, hey, who do we have here today to kick off the show? The rumor is you read about 10% of my book. Okay, it's our honor <laughs> to have Rajul Zapardi, the co-founder and CEO of Zip, on our show. 
Zip is the world's leading intake to procure solution to bring a consumer grade user experience to B2B purchasing. Every company can use that. As a serial entrepreneur and a former visiting partner at acclaimed startup accelerator Y Combinator, Rajul is deeply committed to using technology to solve complex business problems. Prior to Zip, Rajul co-founded Flight Car, where he served as CEO through the company's acquisition by Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz. Listen, listen to this, Ray, uh, because I know what you and I were doing at age 19. At age 19, he raised $20 million for a startup flight car, making him the youngest to ever raise that much venture capital, this according to Forbes. I would be thinking of buying a Corvette as my first <laughs> if I raised 20 at 19. Uh, you can follow him at R-U-J-U-L-Z. Welcome, Rajul, to Disrupt TV. That's quite an accomplishment. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so, so much cool. for, for having me. <laughs> I wouldn't wouldn't quite say that, but no, I'm super happy to be here. <laughs> you would love this. We're we're sitting in uh, in, in Davos, right? And and this guy's following us around, it. And this guy named Andy, right? And apparently his email is like Andy nine one one at Gmail or something like that, right? We're really already what it is, right? And we're just like, okay. And he comes up to us like, oh, I'm the one that did the uh, electric Porsche launch. <laughs> and then we go down even deeper. He goes, I'm the one that put the burst, uh, Burmeister or Burmeister like speakers in the Mercedes and in the Ferraris and, wow. and in the Porsches. And we're like, what? <laughs> so yeah, you never know who you bump into. And, and we are bumping live to you. And I really want to spend some time talking about Zip because this is very interesting. Talk about what is it? Like what, what in your background said, I want to go do this because there's a big problem to go out and solve. So yeah, so I used to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, was, I was obviously a founder before as well. And I, I worked in product, uh, you know, as a product manager working on, on search products. Uh, uh, primarily at, at, uh, at Airbnb and, and, you know, and, and I realized that like as a regular, you know, I think of myself as a regular employee, right? I, I don't know that much about, uh, uh, at least now I do, but I didn't back then about finance and procurement and, you know, as a regular employee, you need things to do your job. And, you know, if you work in marketing, you might want to run more campaigns. You might need to, uh, 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 you know, work with a contractor, buy software, whatever it is. Um, and the challenge is, it's so it's been so confusing to figure out. Hey, if I need to buy something, I need to work with a vendor to do my job. Where do I go? What's the one place I'm supposed to go to? And then what's the process? You know, what does it look like across budget review and legal and data security and IT? And these become such fragmented processes uh, that you know you sort of you know I I remember feeling so confused as just a regular end user and an employee. Uh, that my co-founder Lou and I really sort of decided, you know, we should do something about it uh, and, and start Zip to, to provide the one front door experience. So anyone that needs to, to work with a new vendor that needs to make a purchase, it sh you shouldn't have to think twice. You go to Zip, you kick your request off, uh, and, and then it becomes very clear where it sits across all the different teams, you know, should they approve or not approve, but at least you know where you stand. I love the, the user perspective and employer's perspective in, in terms of understanding the jobs to be done, recognizing all the unnecessary friction and complexity that exists, and then just rolling up your sleeve and delivering a solution that helps remove that, that friction. You, you don't have any gray hair. <laughs> you, still, you still look handsome and well-rested. How does someone in two years build a company that gets valued over a billion dollars and look as, awesome. as, as, as well-rested as you. Tell us about your journey. You must have like great diet, sufficient sleep and exercise and 
take care of yourself as well as building unicorns. Oh, well, I didn't sleep that much last night, so I'll take the, the credit. Uh, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'll be lucky to have gray hair as long as I've got it. Uh, I'll take the gray. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, but no, I, I uh, you know, I think I think it's really been the company has certainly grown quickly in the last two and a half years since we started. We've grown to two hundred and fifty-ish people um, at at, at Zip, yeah, and, and you know, and I think it's it's really because it's the problem we're solving for um, is just so ubiquitous. Um, I think. Uh, uh, you mentioned it earlier, you know, every, every company out there uh, in the world that's, you know, past a certain level of scale, maybe, maybe, you know, 100, 150 employees, uh, up to hundreds of thousands of employees, uh, every company in between, regardless of the, the vertical or the industry or the space that you're in, there's more and more purchasing uh, that's occurring today, right, with more software, more services, um, and in a more distributed way uh, than, than ever before, um, because it used to be that buying was very centralized. You know, you had a procurement team, uh, the company you work at maybe makes paper cups. I'm just making up an example. And, you know, they, you know, add paper suppliers, uh, but only a few every year because you don't want to, you know, over overburden the supply chain. It used to work that way. But today someone might want to buy some, you know, SaaS software for 500 bucks here. Someone else might want to hire a contractor to, you know, help them on a, a certain project. Um, it's just become more distributed and more, more complex. And, uh, and, and that's why we, we started Zip. And, and I think that's, that's you know, it, it just, I think, resonated. And that's, that's why we've been fortunate uh, that the business has grown. Through. I have so, a question. So sorry. Oh, sorry, but... sorry, Ray. Just, just I'm interested. I'm super interested when I have CEOs of companies that are driving and growing hyperscale, hyper growth companies. Surely when it was five people, you were, in, you, were, you were involved with recruiting the very best talent. When it was 10 people, 50 people maybe, 60 maybe. Now you're north of 250. Are you still involved in recruiting the very best talent? Or, and if you're not, at what point do you delegate to your staff because the company is just getting too large for you to be involved in everyday tactical you know, uh, work? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, so my co-founder, Lou, and I uh, were, you know, in, involved and interviewed nearly everybody up to about 150-ish people. Okay. Uh, and so, of course, if you hire 150, you're actually interviewing, you know, quite a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You met like oh, half, we half the neighborhood, yeah. We're doing first calls, though, so thankfully, you know, we, uh, we would have had no time then. Uh, but uh, uh, but no, we, we, that's 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 a great point you bring up because it's so core, right? I mean, who we are is is the people we have. I mean, that's yeah. really who we are. It's it's not the product first; it's the people first. Uh, and and you know, I really believe that. And so, uh, uh, but after that point, um, you know, we, we sort of sort of had to segregate. Okay, these types of roles we're we're absolutely going to be in the interview process for, and then these other types of roles that we're not, uh, we're going to have we're going to calibrate uh, with other leaders at the company and make sure that. They're involved in 100% of those those hires uh, and, and, and the loop, right? And that's just the only way that you kind of have to scale yourself. But Great. it was, you know, it was it was tricky, I would say, and sensitive, and something, you know, you have to sort of let go a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty wild. But hey, I want to talk about the category you're in. And, you know, I remember you guys with that other name. I started with a Q, but whatever that was. But um, <laughs> but the point being is like, what, what this whole category, buy now, pay later, BMPL, like, why is it so popular? Like, you know, what does it replace and what efficiencies does it bring that, you know, an, an, another category doesn't bring? Yeah, so so we actually don't do. I mean, there, there's a lot of buy now, pay later companies, uh, and I can I can speak to that. We we actually don't touch buy now, pay later. 
uh, on, on purpose. Uh, but there's a lot of companies that'll do, uh, uh, you know, I, I think especially with access to capital and access to credit. Over yeah, I mean, you split payments too, right, though? But you do the split payments piece, right? We, we actually, so I, I think I know uh, where the confusion is, but there's actually two zips out there. Uh, ah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. a buy now, pay later company. That's zip.co, yeah. and then we're zipHQ.com. That's right. That's right. Uh, ah, that's what it was. Okay, right, got it. Right. German software. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Uh, you know, uh, I wish we had zip.com, uh, but no one. <laughs> yeah. On no, no. So you're doing that. Yep. So you're doing the pay procurement side, rogue spend, all that kind of stuff, right? Shorter cycle times and that kind yes, of stuff. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so taking on the. So, sorry. So, so, so uh, listen. Uh, all companies of all sizes. Uh, are in uh, have have spend visibility as a priority. <laughs> um, uh, all sizes, all companies, even software companies that have been growing faster than any other company in the world. Uh, especially. I, I, yeah, especially, I, I, and I have some experience with that. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about <laughs> tell us about without naming names. Tell us about why spend visibility is so critical in business, especially now. Yeah, especially uh, more now. So, more so than ever. Yeah, it's so, you know, I think what, what ends up, so if you don't have, like, let's say you don't have visibility in the spend, um, any number of, of not so good things can happen, right? The worst type of thing that can happen is you, someone sends an invoice to accounts payable at yourcompany.com yeah. and, uh, and they're like, yeah, this is the invoice. And you then figure out, wait, who bought this thing? Oh, oh, we already got it. So now it doesn't matter whether it should have been bought or not it's been bought, the service or the product has been rendered and you, right. you, know, you have to pay, uh, right? That's kind of like the worst kind. Uh, the second worst kind uh, uh, is, okay, right at the tail end, like, all right, we've been working on this for three months. This is the contract. How do I get it signed? Well, you could kill it maybe, uh, but now you have a really, you know, I mean, that's a terrible experience for, for employees. It's also incredibly inefficient. Yeah. Uh, and, and the challenge is that usually these processes, like the way you actually request to buy something through, through the proc a procurement process uh, can be so convoluted uh, that people just kind of like procrastinate it, put it yeah. off. And that's yeah. actually why visibility gets harder. And so adoption and making it easy for an employee to raise their hand and to be clear, I want, I want to be clear, it's, that does not mean it, you make it easy to buy. You just make it easy right. to say you're doing the thing you were going to do anyways. So at least the right people have visibility uh, early enough before the person has already like negotiated with the vendor. And now you can't right. really negotiate right. at the end, even if they may not be experienced in negotiations, for example, or they're emotionally tied to buying this thing. You can redirect it and say, oh, actually, you know, we already work with this other vendor. Why don't we just use them? Or... Uh, maybe actually this is a great idea, but maybe we should negotiate it further or, you know, I need a better business justification. And so if you make it easy to adopt, you get the visibility earlier uh, and you can then better manage budgets, better man control spend versus getting hit with, with, you know, invoices potentially 90 days out. It's very hard to run a business that way. It's such a critical function, such a critical function. Yeah, go ahead. No, Rick. it is. And, 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 and the last real vendors in this space were built in probably 20 years ago and mostly on-premises, barely in the cloud, right? I mean, you're, you're coming at this from a very, very different perspective. So uh, let's, let's talk about startups in the Valley at the moment. What is, what is it like, right? Is it still hard to attract talent? Um, is it been, you know, easy to get into deals? Do you feel like deal flows are easier than before or they're more decision makers and influencers? How's it looking like so far? No, great question. Uh, I'll start with, I'll start with the second, second piece, uh, you know, on, on sort of deals. Uh, you know, I think it. I think uh, uh, it really depends on what your 
selling and to, to whom. I think uh, certainly more than ever before, I think business justification, ROI, uh, uh, right? And, and I think a lot of are more critical than ever. And I think a lot of solutions and, and SaaS companies that sell, you know, even outside of the CFO into maybe a CMO or a CRO or, you know, other, another function, I think you're finding that they also kind of need to like work with the CFO at the company or the, you know, the financial uh, department, at least to, to, you know, in a more, in a closer way, I would say than, than before. And, and uh, you know, of course we, we, we largely sell into finances. It is, as you would imagine. Uh, but, but I, I certainly think that uh, there's more scrutiny around ROI and, and, you know, the real value delivered, which, you know, actually is kind of like a good thing uh, if you, if you, if you sort of look at it that way, right. Just cause it just, it just holds a higher bar and it makes the, you know, it just makes sure that people are actually buying the stuff that they need uh, that truly gives them value. Uh, and that's like kind of like healthier for the world, you know, might be, might be tougher in, in, in the moment in time, I guess. Sure. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, but, and, and then to your, your first, uh, first comment and question around, around hiring, um, you know, I think it, I think it depends on the roles uh, and I think it depends on, on where you're hiring. Uh, you know, I, I do think that on the whole, I think it's, it's gotten a tad bit, bit easier than it was maybe, maybe, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, uh, so I, I, you know, I do think it feels that way, but, but certain roles are, 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 you know, certainly still in demand. I mean, there's plenty of companies still hiring. For sure. There's great number of talent available, uh, today compared to last year, especially in the technology sector. Uh, Rajul, we have lots of CEOs, lots of company founders of all company sizes watch the show and, and they, I'm sure all agree, like, let's make this procurement process with more transparency, remove friction, allow us to plan better and understand where we're investing our precious dollars. How, how, how should they think about, how do they get started? So they contact Zip, they contact you. What, what, t- walk me through how long it takes for you to understand their existing processes and then, you know, light them up with Zip magic and make everything so much better. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So, you know, and that's, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I think that, uh, so one of our sort of uh, key points of focus and I would say differentiators is our time to value. Uh, so I think about eight weeks. Uh, from start less than a quarter, less than one business yeah, quarter. Less than a quarter. Uh, I think a lot of like you know wow. software in, in the space can take many, many months, and and actually it's almost you know that's too long for you to be able to actually control spend. And so I think uh, especially in the environment that we're in, uh, you implement Zip it takes about eight weeks. The reason, by the way, for that uh, is it turns out that if you're a company that needs to you know, every company buys software services, hires contract workers, so forth. And they kind of vet them in like roughly the same way, right? Like this isn't actually a process that needs to be created from first principles by every single <laughs> company. That actually doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so as you might imagine, we've, we have, uh, you know, over, 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 you know, hundreds of customers built best practice templates uh, for these types of workflows and these types of requests. And so that really helps us you know, we'll understand the need. Of course, you can change things and we'll, we'll change them for you as you need and you can do it yourself. It's no code, um, but, you know, you can kind of get going with a template and immediately get get visibility uh, uh, into, into spend. I mean, I know I feel as a CEO myself, like if I did not have, yeah, you know, of course we use Zip at Zip, as you would expect, but if I did not have that visibility, uh, I, I would, uh, you know, maybe that's why I look well-rested. That's ah, listen, anybody who can deliver the lowest time to value <laughs> sleeps better at night. So <laughs> you revealed your secret to us. By the way, congratulations. It's a complex 
amount of workflow, different personas, governance and approval processes to be able to come in there and modernize a B2B procurement uh, framework in less than a quarter, uh, you're going to have a thousand plus people working for you in short time. That's awesome. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so, hey, no, this is. So, this is amazing. Right. Now, we're here with uh, Rahul Zapart, CEO of Fintech Unicorn Zip, the intake to procure solution, not the other one that I was talking about earlier. You can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at R-U-J-U-L-Z. Sorry about that. And uh, hey, thank you for being on the show. And thank you. And we should spend some more time with you uh, because we are definitely looking at the new procurement space landscape. So thanks a lot. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Roger. Great. 19 years old raises $20 million. 19 years old, I think I was mowing lawns uh, and neighbors uh, getting like $20. <laughs> okay. I think the local mob in my neighborhood was telling me to stop mowing lawns in my neighborhood, but I, I don't remember what's going on. So. That's awesome. I, well, as you know, what were you doing that? For money to make sure I could, you know, pay my rent at my dorms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, same, same. Okay, well, awesome. speaking, speaking of amazing CEOs, because that's who we bring on the show. Christine Tao is co-founder CEO of Sounding Board, Silicon Valley startup. We've been defining how organizations are developing their leaders. What better time than now in terms of developing leaders? Christine's extraordinary rapid career growth uh, uh, to executive management in media, mobile, and tech sectors of Silicon Valley became her inspiration for, for founding uh, Sounding Board. As she began to manage larger teams and be responsible for growth and revenues, it became clear that Christine needed a sounding board to coach uh, her on the development of her leadership skills. And that's where Sounding Board's co-founder, Lori Mason, came on the scene. A seasoned executive focus, uh, executive coach focused on leadership development, Lori coached Christine on real-world leadership skills that had a direct impact on business outcomes. And of course, based on her positive and impactful experience with leadership development, Christine was driven to make leadership development coaching accessible to all. Christine advises several startups in the budding angel and budding uh, is a budding uh, angel investor and is also a Tory Burch Foundation fellow, a foundation dedicated to investing in the success and sustainability of women entrepreneurs. You can follow Christine at Christine Town, C H R I S T I N E T A O. Welcome, Christine, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you both again. Thank you. <laughs> We're happy to have you here. Um, we really want to spend some time talking about how coaching is different from other leadership development tools. So let's start there because I think that's a fascinating area. And I think a lot of us, you know, are, are realizing that we, we don't have, we need, we need a friend. We need someone to help us guide us along the way. Yeah. Lori, my co-founder often describes it as having a thought partner. And, hmm. you know, I think all of us these days, especially given what's happening in the market, um, can certainly see how that would be incredibly helpful. Um, and I think, you know, a way to think about coaching and what we do at Sounding Board is it's a personalized development. And most of us, I'm sure, you know, Ray Valla have, we've gone through maybe more traditional leadership development. It might have been a course or a curriculum, probably a few books that you've read as you were trying to build your own PowerPoint. <laughs> Um, I certainly know I did a lot of Googling in my early years as a manager to figure out how to have hard conversations, be able to manage my time. The big difference is with the coach, it's a live person. Um, my coach, Lori, was incredibly skilled. She was one of the first of 300 certified in the profession. And now what I can really have is a thought partner and somebody mm. that's 
very agnostic and no skin in the game with what's happening in my organization that can really help me get to the right answers and also uncover some of those mindsets that are often very personal to you that might be influencing your own behavior. So certainly we're seeing that leaders are and managers at every level are facing uncertainty, volatility, and rapid change in our organizations. And so being able to have somebody that you can work through those challenges um, in real time is incredibly powerful. You know, I, I look back at my career. Yeah, it started with reading a lot of books. Uh, <laughs> books, uh, Harvard Business Review articles, Fast Company articles, Inc. articles. I had a group of authors that would publish regularly Inc. that spoke to business leadership. Uh, I remember a senior executive early in my career sending me to a retreat that was like in the mountains of Maine, secluded from everything. And it was, uh, I found out later to 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 soften me a little bit. Uh, I had just left grad school and I was immediately promoted to and had the re awesome responsibility of managing people, but I wasn't ready. I, I, I you know, so I, it wasn't, I wasn't an easy manager to work for. So this whole leadership retreat was I to can't just, imagine that, dude. Oh, wow. I, listen, 20 year old, just gun ho, just trying to, you know, get things done. So, but so a lot of people invested in trying to help me become a better person. Um, I imagine. There's extensive amount of time involved in, in terms of coaching and impacting and making people better leaders. Can you walk us through the journey of, you know, an executive asks you to become a thought partner partner, and how long it takes before you can see the fruits of your labor? <laughs> well, I know certainly in this day and age, everybody wants results now, right? And I think that is part of the beauty of it. Look, um, change, and as you know, change for anybody personally around your mindsets and behaviors takes time. It is a long-term engagement. I think where we often see people be able to make very fast progress is how personalized the experience is. Because if I have an immediate challenge in front of me, you know, I have a hard conversation I have to have with a employee around performance. Um, what I can do is I can bring that conversation immediately into my session with my coach. We often may um, get frameworks for how to think about those. We might be able to practice what I um, might want to say in terms of languaging. And then we might be able to also uncover like what's kind of happening deeper here that's creating some of these challenges, not only for the employee, but for myself as a manager and how I deal with these. Um, and I think that's the piece where having that personalized experience where it's not generalized to, you know, um, everyone is where you can really see very, very fast acceleration. Must be super rewarding work. Like you must like love doing this because, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, Lori, I, I will have to admit I myself am not a professional coach. My co-founder, Lori, is. I've certainly gotten exposed to it, given yeah. the company that we run at Sounding Board. And, you know, I think that's probably the most fulfilling thing is that we get these feedback from our the organizations that we work with and the leaders that we work with about really profound transformations. Wow. And, you know, whether that's completely new thinking about how they are approaching their work or leading their teams or organizations, or sometimes it's just a small aha or insight. Yeah. But it's incredibly powerful for someone to see that happen in real time and 
effectively, you know, when you see results, what happens? You reinforce your commitment to that, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. No, that's that's awesome. a great way to do it. So you coach so many people, you go through this. I mean, what differences do you think or see maybe uh, with leadership styles between men and women? Um, do they lead differently? Do they do diff oh. different things or different types of assumptions that we should know about? Well, I think um, I'd probably bring it back to this idea. You know, you had talked about, you know, when we were sort of growing up generationally in the mm -hmm. workforce, we were maybe looking at very specific models of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. You know, was it the Jack Welch model of leadership? Yeah. Or, you know, like you said, I think you said HBR, right? Yeah. Um, Tom I Peters, instructor yeah. of excellence. Uh, Jim Collins, good to great. You know, Mal right. yeah, there's all the books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's right. And Jack I think well. the, the thing that we fundamentally believe at Sounding Board is that especially where we are in the world today and just the workforce and the labor markets and jobs we have today, there isn't a one size fits all um, view of leadership that there should be because we are dealing with rapid change. We're dealing with a changing pop workforce and population and also just changing expectations of like an employee and their work and what they expect out of that work. Um, and so for us, I think the, the sort of main thrust is like there isn't one leadership style, right, that is the right style. It actually is highly dependent on context of your organization, hmm. your function, your own um, sort of um, mindsets and behaviors, and then how you actually bring that together and apply those capabilities. And certainly we see that that can be very different across many different spectrums, men, women, no. age, right? Generations. Yeah. No, we, we think it's a great point, right? I mean, we, we broke out something on leadership about six years ago. We talked about their core traits like integrity or authenticity and being transparent, but then there's a balance that you actually have to put into place, like responsible leadership versus responsive leadership, right? So some people are, you know, some people love leaders that are massively decisive. They go out and make decisions right away and you're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And then other people, People and other times call for pensive leaders. People take yeah. some time to think about and work out stuff. So, right. so yeah, those dynamic leadership frameworks are, are, are very important because, I mean, there is no one style of leadership anymore given how things fast, uh, things are changing. But are there inherent things that make someone one more one type of leader than another and that you have to coach them to balance out like a trait that, you know, they might not have you know, being able to take back, like, for example, a demanding leader might not know how to be as compassionate as they need to be, or someone very principled might not know how to like do something on the fly and be adaptive. Like, do you encounter those kind of things? Sorry, sorry, Valerie. I was like, yeah, something I wrote six years great ago question. for, for, yeah. for Davos. I was like, yeah, great question. absolutely. And look, actually, Ray, um, you know, you use the word that we think about a lot too, which is dynamic. And I think it is a need that leaders today have to be much more dynamic in being able to apply their leadership capabilities across different contexts and situations. And so you're right. Um, you might have your natural tendencies as a leader. Val, it sounds like you were pretty demanding early on and had to kind of learn to soften your edges in different situations. Val, I can't imagine this. Like, this is great, man. They did a good job on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it to learn a little bit more about finding my voice, actually. Um, and a lot of that had to do with my own cultural upbringing and the values that I was raised with as a, you know, an Asian American. And I think that's the sort of bottom line, which is it is going to be different for every person. 
And even for myself, there are opportunities and times where I do have to be much more directive. I have to be much more decisive. And that is the right approach and leadership for that situation environment. But in others, empathy may be one of the most critical things that I have to really bring forth to my employees. And so what we've found is that the leaders that are able to flex across styles, be able to apply those capabilities to the context are the ones that are the most successful. Wow, that's great. So our first guest, Rajul, talked about time to value leveraging templates. You know, we implement a procurement process for a tech company of certain size, certain employees. And then the next time we have if in an affinity group with a, a like client, we have some starting point. It turns out that in your space, like you said, it's hard to create a template for leadership because of so many variables. Uh, it could be age, it could be ethnicity, it could be industry, perhaps, and the demand on type of work. When you look at your clients that you've helped serve since you launched the company, do you notice them as leaders in their industry? Are they outpacing their competitors? Uh, I'm trying to figure out, can you correlate the success you have creating better leaders, translating to better businesses, businesses that can delight their stakeholders, internal and external? Have you been able to model the impact that you're having in terms of their business growth and, and relevance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, look, one is that we just innately know. Ultimately, a company is composed of its employees and its leaders. And to have effective leadership, we know innately that that translates to business impact. I think the question then becomes, how do you draw that correlation in a way that maybe is, you know, expressed in the tone of business language around ROI impact and metrics to the business? Um, The way we think about that at Sounding Board um, and what we've seen most companies really adopt is, first, let's start with the individual. What are those capabilities and skill sets that that leader needs to develop that are their growth edges? And then how do you start to understand a baseline for those and how that progresses over time through our engagement? Um, And our platform can allow us to do that very well. We can also do that by collecting feedback from peers or managers or others around that leader to be able to sort of match self-perception to uh, perception from others. And then I think it's about how do you then also translate that into the broader metrics that the company is thinking about that they are trying to impact. And more directly, it might be around promotion rates, engagement, attrition right, um, sort of health or uh, engagement of the teams that those leaders lead. And then from there, you can then start to move forward and look at, well, then how well are those teams performing in their functions? Um, we have a really cool feature on our platform, which when you come in and set a goal with your coach, you actually can even name what the business impact of that goal is. And you can name the personal impact and professional impact that has to you. That's awesome. And that's been that. really powerful because, look, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, we can uh, we can surface that to the organization only if we can gather that data. And so we've been very thoughtful about how we structure that in a way that allows us to be able to uplevel these types of insights around impact to the org. If I had sounding board when I was early in my career, I would either be retired or leading a large company. Where were you, Christine, when I needed sounding board? 
<laughs> That's awesome. That's well, really well, cool. add, add this equity option. You have this very interesting equity option too. Right? You, you, you. There's, there's, there's even an equity <laughs> option. Think about this for coaches. And, right? and one more thing. <laughs> well, no, I'm I mean, also this, glad you're talking about that because I think, like you know, you both work in technology, and we've seen over the last decade the proliferation of incredible companies, unicorns, right, that have been yeah. built um, through accessing external labor forces. For us, our coaches are not employees of Sounding Board, but in every way, we want to align the fact that they are a driver of our success because of their interactions and their engagement and the development they're providing our customers and the leaders we work with. And so we're actually the only company in the space that has offered equity to our coaches, um, and that's really to align incentives, wow. right? Just like you offer equity to your employees because that helps them connect to the organization and this idea of we win together. We think it's incredibly important that we also walk that talk because we're known to be a very high quality premium coaching network. And how could we do that without the engagement and commitment from our coaches? That's awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. I'm going to have to dust off my coaching skills. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, of course, now in front of like 50,000 viewers, I said that I was a terrible manager. But that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. I, listen, your, your, your best teacher I would is your never last, have known. Your best teacher is your last mistake. So, you know, anyway, I've learned a lot. Uh, okay, my final question. We had Rajul, CEO, talk to us about how he learned to delegate as a company scale, and it's super hard to do because it's your baby, you're growing, everything is going to plan. So to let go must be difficult. And that's why I asked them, what advice do you have for CEOs of companies, um, your size or, 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 or not, uh, in terms of lessons you've learned being the, you know, the, 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 the CEO and, and you know, the buck stops with you. So what are some of the lessons you've learned that you'd like to share with other CEOs? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, communication is probably one of the most critical things that you can really focus on as a CEO, especially when, like us, you're in a growth stage like me now where I'm not down in tactical execution. Hmm. So how do I get everybody aligned? How do I ensure everybody knows where we're going? And then how do I continue to update and connect everybody across the organization to really rally around those goals? And so that's been a uh, skill set and something that I've realized I'm spending more and more time around as a founder and CEO versus getting down in the tactical execution because I have an incredible team I can delegate to, right? So one, awesome. it all goes hand in hand as you scale and grow. Um, but I think the one thing I've learned is, you know, my job changes every six months, maybe sometimes three months now. But uh, the most important thing is I have to be dynamic and continue to adapt. I love Are that you, you started the show. Out of a job? <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love the fact you started the show by saying, "Look, I needed a sounding board to find my voice," and not only you found it, but you found it, used it, and became a CEO. And now you want to make sure your voice is relevant and inspires people, and it scales the company. That's awesome. So congratulations. Uh, it's working. Sounding board works. <laughs> it's terrific. It's terrific. I'm not only the CEO, I'm also a user. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm also a member. Christine Tao, co-founder and CEO of Sounding Board. We can follow her on Twitter at Christine P. Tao. Thank you so much for coming on board and you know, sharing that advice with us. And so hopefully we'll be using your services soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you.
And please don't tell anyone I was a terrible manager. I don't know. I no, 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 no. It's just within our community. It's within our community. This is a live show. You know, I got to <laughs> remind myself to. Okay, this is what 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 an what an epic next guest. If you're a baseball fan, this is where we bring up a cleanup hitter, and then watch a grand slam, watch the ball leave the park. Uh, it's our privilege to have uh, Sally Helgeson, author of Rising Together. How we can bridge divides and create a more inclusive workplace. Again, unbelievably important topic. Sally, cited in Forbes as the world's premier expert on women's leadership, is an internationally best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach. Sally has been inducted into the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame. We've interviewed a thousand guests nearly on this show, but we've only had two Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame, Tom Peters and Sally, uh, which honors those whose ideas have shaped the field of leadership worldwide. Sally has, is also ranked number three among the world's thought leaders by global gurus. I, I haven't made a top 10 list, I don't think, in my career. Sally's forthcoming book, Rising Together, How We Can Bridge Divides and Create More Inclusive Workplace, offers practical ways to build more inclusive relationships, team, and, work, uh, and, and, and workplaces. Her previous books, and there's so many dimensions, have been translated to like 22 languages. Uh, so author of numerous books, the, the, a new architecture for building great organization cited in the Wall Street Journal as one of the best books on leadership of all time and credited with bringing the language of inclusion into business. Sal has been championing inclusion since I think 1985. When she was only like six years old. Uh, follow Sally on Twitter at S-A-L-L-Y-H-E-L-G-E-S-E-N. Welcome, Sally, to Disrupt TV. It's an honor. Welcome. Thank you, Bella. Wonderful to be with you and with Ray. Thank you. I feel hey, like this is judge here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're real lucky to have you, right? This is perfect for International Women's Day. Your book just came out what, at the end of February. I mean, it's great timing to be talking about this. And, and this is the follow-up to um, your book, I think, How Women Rise, if I remember. And that was the book. And so now you're taking it into other areas and other dimensions of diversity and inclusion. And so so let's start there and, and talk a little bit about, you know, uh, you know wh what are some of these interesting triggers that are there, you know, and values that, you know, might be things that are a bit different uh, than others. I mean, you talk about eight common triggers that can undermine our ability to connect across different types of perspectives and, and even lived experiences. Certainly, uh, you know, triggers are an interesting thing to uh, take a look at. Triggers are basically situations or circumstances that are in the environment that evoke an emotional response in us. And this is fine. This is how human beings operate. But in today's workplace, with so many different kinds of people, we're not just talking demographics. We're talking about people with very, very different values. We can be easily triggered certain things and that's fine but we do not want to let what triggers us blow up relationships blow up teams or undermine our own long-term career prospects and all those things are fairly easy to do so we need a process hmm. for being able to deal with them to be able to write rewrite some of the kind of familiar go-to scripts that we may have in our heads for when we are triggered in a specific way. And that's one of the things I, I attempt to do in Rising Together. You also write to establish uh, uh, an inclusive environment. Uh, we should focus on behaviors and actions rather than mindsets or assumptions um, and, and search for unconscious biases 
Can can you further uh, expand on on this? Certainly, I can. You know, it's it's been an interesting thing because I think I was really influenced by the success of How Women Rise, which is very tactical, focused on um, habits and behaviors that may get in your way and how to address mm-hmm. them. Them. So I was seeing that this applies more broadly. And I was doing, I was speaking out at the Construction Super Conference in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, that's said, an amazing a show. my favorites. <laughs> it's really great. But they asked me to do a women's leadership workshop. So I thought, okay, so we'll get, you know, 100 women who are struggling to, as Christine talked about, make their voices heard and be appreciated. And I got down to my room. And of course, it was a breakout. There's 6,000 guys there. And there were about 300 people and about 70% of them were men. And I was wow, floored wow. with this topic. Ask them why they were there. Of course, things I could have predicted, you know, we're struggling to attract and especially retain women. If we can't get better at it, we will not be competitive because that's the nature of the workforce. So, um, but then one guy stood up and he said something uh, that really related to the way I've been working. He said, look, please do not waste your time or our time telling us why this is important, why this matters. We get it. We understand. We just don't know how to do it. We need specific guidance. Now, I've definitely. It was really, it just, I thought, okay, that's my next book. I can do that. (laughs) going to take some (laughs) research. But my next book is going to be to answer your question. I only wish I'd gotten uh, gotten his part so I could have sent him the book and told him I don't want to start it. Uh, That's hilarious. <laughs> it was something, but uh, it was partly because I work with clients all around the world who've done this for thirty-five years, and uh, I have heard more and more times. You know, we ran out a big inclusive bias initiative, which is sort of the default way for addressing diversity and inclusion in organizations. We ran it out. We ran it out worldwide at six leaders, you know, six levels of leaders. Uh, but it didn't move the needle. It didn't do anything. Uh, and then when I started asking people who participated in this, sometimes they had really bad experiences. Sometimes they said, you know, I found out what my coworkers really thought of me and I decided it's time for me to get up. It <laughs> can happen. But it was more also people would go, yeah, you know, it's an interesting discussion, but then we couldn't think of what to do. So it's what I call aha moment. Now what? We want the hows. We want the tactics. And people... People are impacted by us based upon our behavior, based upon our actions, and based upon our words, not by the thoughts that run through our heads. So it's starting with biases, uh, which are assumptions, which are our ways of thinking, uh, is not a very effective way to go. You know, uh, Sally, we had a Harvard business professor, Francis Fry, on the show and she was awesome. And I remember her just very simple, just thinking of, she said, I would have, uh, instead of DEI, I would put I in front of the D because if you have inclusion, you will welcome diversity. And it just made me think about how just a change in order that like if you celebrate inclusion, you will address diversity. 
challenges that you may have in an organization. So it's, it's just, you know, it's amazing that being aware of biases and making sure that the words you use and how you, how you see things can really impact the way you approach, uh, approach uh, uh, this, this incredible level of leadership. I'm really glad you told me that, uh, what, what, what Francis Price said. One of the, the ways that I think about it is this, having been working in this field for quite a while. Yes. Um, diversity and inclusion are very different and we need to distinguish them. Uh, diversity is the nature of the global talent pool. It's what that, those guys in Las Vegas were talking about. This is the talent pool. We need to get better at it. So it's not a goal or aspiration. I'm amused when CEOs say, our goal is diversity. Really? No, that's your reality. That's what you're dealing with. I love that. Every day. I love that. Inclusion, by contrast, is really the set of leadership and management practices that are going to enable you to do a good job mm. with today's workforce. Because guess what? People who are not necessarily part of the historic leadership mainstream are more, more likely to feel excluded or feel that oh, yeah. their value isn't noticed. And this isn't just some, you know, oh, old white men think, no, sorry, I do a lot of work in Japan. There are a lot of men there who are of Korean background. They feel that way as well. So this is a global issue. Yeah, we definitely see that. And, uh, you know, I actually was working on some different models around diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, we were trying to figure out like what makes things and what makes companies. And we're wondering like, how does values, for example, like you could have values that don't change, right? And it could be across different groups. And what we call diversity of thought, different sets of experiences, competencies that come into place that, that you bring to the table. And then other areas that we're talking about around race or gender, things that were not out of your control. You were born with these, like a religion or, you know, your, your gender or, you know, your um, culture that you're in, right, at that point in time. Like, how do those interact with each other to, to get to where you are? So. Well, I think they interact strongly. And we tend to define diversity only in terms of demographics. And it's not. Uh, diversity is diversity of thought, diversity of values. We see this today in, in, you know, some of the cultural ferment here that people can have very, very different values. And we are not very good at communicating well with people who have different values. And organizations really benefit also by being able to enable people, create a, a, an environment where people feel enough a part of the we that they're not hesitant to or baffled by the thought of having conversations with people they may perceive of as being different, whether they're different because of demographic differences or value. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting conversation I was having with, a, with another leader was that like a fourth generation Asian American, which, you know, our other guest, Christine, was might not be. She could be second generation or third generation. But I have nothing in common as a second generation Asian American with a fourth generation Asian American. Right. Because they're more established. They could call someone and say, I know this person to get something done or, you know, their values have changed over time. And, you know, I, I come in at a very different place. And, and when we use 
I struggle to use this word, but I'm going to use it this way. When we use superficial diversity areas, right, around like things that are just externals, right, you sometimes fail, fail to capture that nuance, right? You know, that depth of what's changed uh, over time, right? And, and, and so the question is like that balance, like how do you bring that conversation up? Because we haven't advanced to that piece yet. Yeah, I think it's 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 partly we we can't really have those conversations fruitfully unless we first start thinking about how we engage with people in yeah. terms of how we of, of what our actions are that we want to create an inclusive environment and an inclusive environment will be uh, a more psychologically safe place where people feel comfortable having conversations but to just begin mandating uh, uncomfortable conversations yeah. uh, when the environment doesn't necessarily feel safe is a really bad way to start. And I think it, it sometimes, and especially when it's done badly, that's what the whole unconscious bias orientation leads to. Can you give us one or two examples of inclusive behavior uh, that, that you know can have real positive impacts? Yeah, there's so many in the last part of the book is just basically uh, it lays it's out a great it. list. It's yeah. a great list of those. Thank you. One of my favorites on there really has to do with nominating. And this is particularly true for people who are in an earlier stage in their career. There are few things we can do that more persuasively and strongly demonstrate our, um, uh, our you know, willingness to be included inclusive, our commitment to it, then nominating colleagues and people who may be unexpected for not uh, for honors, uh, for promotions, for, uh, you know, uh, talking about recommending their books, etc. And I was really given a window into this when a colleague of mine who is a physician in the academic world, uh, she said when she was quite young in her career, one of her more senior exalted medical uh, doctors in her university asked her if he, if she would nominate him for a certain award. Wow. And first of all, she was stunned. She said, I had no idea that's how it worked, that people would actually ask to be nominated. I thought it just happened. And <laughs> Uh, and a lot of people think that, you know, I, I think I've been publishing for 30 years feeling bad because my books weren't, maybe they weren't in an airport. I didn't realize it <laughs> us in earlier in our careers. But she said, you know, I was, I was really, I had no idea that's how it works. But secondly, that he would ask someone who was so young and so much not on his level to nominate him. She said, I found he was asking a lot of people. She said, and I really learned from that. And I began being very active, asking people, volunteering, can I nominate your book? Can I nominate you, et cetera. And that, that's, it's just, a, it's a very simple thing we can do. It's a very tactical thing we can do. I love that really powerful way to I love that. We had uh, Whitney Johnson on our show and Whitney shared with us her views on the importance of a sponsor and the impact a sponsor can have that's far greater than a mentor. Uh, and in my career, absolutely sponsors people that put their political and social capital on the line lifted me by my hands. Uh, maybe through a promotion, maybe through uh, you know being an advocate for the work. So you know, I think that this nomination piece uh, really resonates with me because I owe a lot of my career to wonderful, kind sponsors. 
who were, you know, who were deliberate in nominating and, and, and shining a bright, positive light on people's work, even if they were further down on the org chart, which was yeah. great, <laughs> which was great. And it's uh, good to know this is something we can take action on because yeah. I often hear people, women will come up to me and say, oh, you know, I don't have a sponsor. It's very difficult in our organization. And I feel like I'll never get ahead without a sponsor. A sponsor, as Whitney notes, is hugely helpful. And we are fortunate when we have a sponsor, but we attract sponsors by sponsoring other people yes. and, and yes. nominating and yes. including people and saying, is there someone I can introduce you to yes. who might be helpful for you right now? This is how we demonstrate that we can start sponsoring people early on in our career, people who are at a higher level. And then that's going to make us more appealing as potential sponsors. Rising together, rising yeah. together. That's yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it's about. Go yeah, ahead, Ray. You got to you got you to do this in your in your speeches. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I, listening to Sally, I, I feel I'm, <laughs> it's amazing. Go ahead, Ray. You should, should do it. You should make everyone do that, like in your keynote. So kind of fun. <laughs> I'm going to go on my next in person, and I'm going to say, Ray and Gala told me I have to do this. <laughs> We'll take any credit. <laughs> no, I, I want to ask. I want to ask one last question here, and, and it's really about. I mean, sometimes this goes too far, right? You you lose your freedom of speech, you lose your freedom of expression. I hear this a lot in companies, right? And then we enter in the other direction, which is cancel culture, right? And and you bring this up a lot. Like, why has cancel culture become such a problem, both within our workplaces and and beyond them? I think it's become a problem because there's a tremendous amount of sensitivity about demonstrating that we have goodwill and we don't know necessarily how to do it. So we become, and I've seen this in organizations, we feel that the best way we can demonstrate that is to try to protect people from anything that might trigger them. Guess what? Triggers are environmental. And we don't want to be the thought police anyway. It doesn't, whatever someone's thinking, that's not really our business. Our business is how they communicate, the actions they take. That's how we can assess them. So I think partly we've gotten too focused, but the unconscious bias has gotten us focused on what people think. Not a good direction to go in. And on the other hand, we're trying to protect people. Universities often put a high premium on protecting people. You know, this is a, a trigger-free zone and all that. Well, good luck. Get out into the workplace and see how trying to protect yourself. So we, we don't often hear those two things together. Like we've gone too far in, in culture. And it's nice to say, hey, look, this is where the balance point is. I think people are trying to find that balance now because we, we swing too far in one pendulum and we swing back to another pendulum. And I, I think I hope we get back to here. I mean, that, that's I think idea. we are both too far and not far enough. I don't think we're too far. I think we're too far and we're nowhere near where we need to be. So oh, no. <laughs> a hop, skip, and a bigger jump. So. <laughs> Sally, I just got a notification from the committee. You've just been uh, inducted into the Disrupt TV Hall of Fame oh. <laughs> with, your Congratulations. Amazing, Congratulations. with your amazing answers. <laughs> so you are awesome. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you weird. so much. We're here with Sally Helgeson, author of Rising Together, just came out February 28th. The book is fresh. It's hot. It builds off her last book. And definitely follow her on Twitter at Sally, H-E-L-G-E-S-E-N. Thank you for being on the show. And we'll see you in the green room. Thank you Thanks. so much. You guys are great. Thank you.
Wow. Blown uh, away again. Well, you know, what a privilege to to get a, a deeper understanding of the roles and responsibility of a unicorn startup CEO who, again, at 19, raised 20 million, made the Forbes 30 under 30. So clearly uh, is doing a lot of right things for a long time at a very early age. And then Christine talking to us about the importance of leaning into, you know, uh, thought partners. You're my thought partner. You may not even know it. I may have never even labeled you as such. But <laughs> I, bounce, I bounce ideas off of you all the time, yeah. whether it's career advice, technology, business, oh, market. So and then and then, you know, uh, having a Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame, which doesn't surprise me, international multi bestselling author really talking to us, you know, about inclusive behavior, which every business leader must have man or woman, because, uh, you know, it is about rising together. It really is. Uh, and if you don't feel a sense of belonging and mattering, it's, it's hard to be part of a team that elevates uh, your, your thoughts, your thoughts on our, on our guests. No, great guests. I mean, look, uh, I, I was um, fascinated by what's going on with procurement, right? It's an area I've been looking at very deeply. And, and I realized that, you know, the, the process is all messed up. And as we get to better analytics, as we get to large learning models, right, a lot of this stuff is going to happen on its own, right? Bots will be talking to bots and they'll be connecting with each other. And so uh, I think we're just at the beginning of that. And, and I think we're going to see that, you know, um, and, and that that's an interesting aspect of making the workplace easier for people. Um, I think what I learned from Christine was really that I probably need more coaches. I, I <laughs> we all probably need a good leadership we all, coach. We all need more coaches. And and, and no I, I think we forget because we feel like we never have enough time to get a leadership coach until something bad happens. And you probably proactively want to go get a leadership coach. And I think that'll help you a lot more because you get a baseline of where you are before uh, before you learn about how bad a leader you might be. Yeah. <laughs> so I like the I like the business model too in terms of equity yeah. equity shared uh, with coaches. I think oh. that's pretty awesome. And and yeah, and what Sally was sharing with it was, was was nice because like when when I listen to all sides of conversation across the political spectrum, um, there is a big backlash on DEI. A massive backlash, and and it's mostly because it's been implemented poorly, right? It's it's not balanced, and and it often takes one group and overemphasizes one group over another. And I'll give you a classic example. I mean, this this is awesome, and this is one of my mentors, a guy named Robert Johnson. We we went to the, uh, he was one of the founding members for the Hundred Black Men of Detroit, and you know, if if you're in a large major city as an Asian, like you. I mean, you're, it's either black or white, right? They're, the Asian thing is like X percent. So he takes me to this meeting for the 100 black men of Detroit. It's in the Renaissance Center. It's amazing. And and we go in there and everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here? Right. And he notices this. Right. So he starts off at the beginning of the conversation. And I, I believe he goes. So um, I brought my friend over here. And it's very interesting. I don't think I've ever felt, I've ever seen this level of hostility, no one being welcoming, uh, you know, lack of inclusiveness, lack of conversation for my friend here. Uh, didn't we work really hard to break all that? And it was the most amazing conversation wow. I ever had. He's like, yeah. he's like, guys, you missed this, right? You can't do this. You know, you've succeeded. You've got to go back and do it. And, and it, that's never left me, right? Because like when you succeed, you also have to bring other people back. You have to bring back the balance. And it was a very, very interesting part of leadership. And so I was like, wow, wow that's pretty wild. Wow. So, so I, I think all these things are here. I think there's a lot of leadership. I can't, I can't relate to any of that. Wherever I go, I'm very deeply welcomed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Of course you are. Uh, yeah. Of course you are. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, but, but that's no, no. But that, but that's that's the thing, right? I mean, I mean, we're all learning. We're all growing. Uh, and and I think like you know, every every one of our guests has something to share, and hopefully, people can take something home with that and and, and learn from there. So listen, yeah, uh, that's kind of where we are. Who do we have uh, next week? I know we're super over, and I apologize. We so. are. We are. Uh, next next week we have Ann Fulton, CEO of Fuel. Oh wow. Okay. We have Melissa Swift, author of Work Here Now. We have such amazing authors and surprise guests uh, for our third guest that we'll reveal oh, next yeah. week. Okay. <laughs> if it's cool. Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching us, and uh, we'll see you next Friday. Bye, everyone. Yes, yeah, see you in the green room.